Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Keith Wade and Alex Tedder. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much, Operator, and uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, this is a little bit of a, a role reversal for me because normally I'm the one who's uh, answering the questions, and I'm doing the interviewing today. So um, we're, we're very uh, lucky to have Alex Tedder, Head of Global Equity, here with us, and uh, we're going to be talking about markets and uh, equity markets in particular. Um, I wanted to start off, though, just with a few comments about the recent moves in markets because it seems that the very strong rally that we had at the beginning of the year has begun to fade. Um, the rally was very strong in January, sort of continued in February, but it's really faded recently. Equity markets have not been making the, the same gains. And I suppose that's not really surprising after such a sharp bounce, but we've also seen bond markets rallying as well uh, and yields uh, beginning to come down. So a little bit of a reversal of the early part of the year. So Really, the first question I have uh, for Alex, and, and, and welcome to the call, the um, first question I have really is, is that it for this year? Because we have seen year-to-date returns on the S&P 500 of just over 10%, which, uh, if you may well recall, are medium-term expectations for markets uh, running at around about 7% per annum for the S&P. So it's almost as if we've had all the return from the U.S. market in the first couple of months of the year. Uh, yes, and hard to disagree, Keith, that that could well be it. Um, the returns in January and February, or the start of the year, has basically been the best start of the year in the U.S. for 30 years. So right there, that's telling you that uh, a lot of the pessimism that, that we saw in Q4 has has reversed. Uh, and actually, looking back in history, this type of reversal after a big drawdown, uh, the big drawdown that we had in Q4, this type of reversal is actually quite normal. The average reversal after a drawdown of the order of magnitude that we had in Q4 is about uh, 13 to 15%. So, so in that respect, um, this is kind of an average rebound uh, yeah. from a pretty depressed situation at the end of December. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but how much do you think now is, is priced in? Mm. Do you think a, a good outcome for the trade wars is priced in? I mean, certainly one of the... Other drivers of the, the the rally has been the change of tone from the Fed and mm. central banks. Mark is not really pricing in very much more from from any of the central banks actually going forward. I mean, what could be the catalyst for further gains from here? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And um, you know, to, to to sort of tie that in with your first question, Keith, is that it in terms of returns for the year? I think ten percent could well be. The, the return from the U.S. market for the year, and probably for global markets too. But I think what you're going to see, and this is this is not, I think, a consensual view. What you're going to see is a squeeze up in markets over the next few weeks and months, possibly followed by quite a big correction sometime in the second half of the year. And I'm happy to go into that in more detail if it would see. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this is going to be. I don't think yeah. it's going to be a flat line. I think we're going to see a lot of volatility. I think we're going to see a squeeze up, followed by possibly quite a big squeeze down later in the year. And I mean, in, in our own uh, baseline view of the world, we we assume that the Fed raises rates in the middle of the year. Is that the kind of thing that could be the catalyst for markets to then 
reverse track or is it something else you've got? Yeah, look, I'm yeah, um, I'm not the economist, kick you are, and and your views are much much better founded than mine when it comes to what the Fed is likely to do. But what I will say is this: um, we feel that there is currently a lot of money sitting on the sidelines when it comes to equity markets. We think liquidity generally is actually good to improving on a global basis after a difficult period in Q4. Yeah. And uh, that's usually quite supportive for markets. We think the momentum in the US economy is going to remain good for the next few months. Uh, and we think that, you know, if you get a catalyst like a resolution of the trade uh, war, quite likely, I think, mm. and or, dare I say it, a potential resolution of the Brexit issue, uh, that could be an additional support for markets. So the bottom line is this. I think that money sitting on the sidelines may well come into equities over the next few weeks and months. We haven't seen irrational exuberance yet. I think we need to see that to be seriously worried about equity markets going forward. Okay. And then, I mean, just sort of taking more the sort of longer term view mm. from that, after yeah. that uh, squeeze up, as you said, you sound a bit more cautious. Is that um, caution about earnings? Mm. Um, it is. Squeeze on margin? It is, definitely. So stepping back from that sort of shorter term liquidity driven sort of aspect, the issue that we've got, which I think won't be news to a lot of our listeners, because uh, we've reiterated it several times, the issue that we've got is this. US earnings growth year on year for the full year 2019 will probably be around 3%. That would be a good number. Mm. The comps are tough. If we add in buybacks, because a lot of companies continue to do pretty aggressive buybacks, not least the big tech companies, could get to 5% year-on-year growth in the S&P in 2019, which is a significant slowdown from what we saw last year, as, as you know. So the fact is, earnings growth is slowing. And, and if the economy starts to slow in the second half, and I think it, it probably will, mm it's going to create negative operating leverage that might actually mean that that 3 or 5% earnings number is still too high. And my view is that as we go through the year, the market is going to be thinking about that again. It's going to be thinking about what's next for earnings. Maybe there's a Fed move, maybe there isn't. Mm. I really don't know. You know, one of the aspects puzzling me slightly, which is where is inflation at the moment. Mm. But the fact is margins are at record highs especially in the US, <clears throat> and margins are starting to come down. Now, you put all that together, and you have the conditions for, I think, a weaker market in the second half and going into 2020. Okay, good. So that, that's a, a pretty clear kind of roadmap, if you like, for the overall market. But I know you guys are very much bottom-up driven, yep. and you uh, focus on particular sectors. Mm. Um, and I think uh, it would be interesting just to hear a bit about, say, current views on mm. tech, um, sure. one of the sectors that you've always followed very closely. Um, yeah, we have, we have Keith. And, uh, and just, just to remind our listeners that on the global team, we are growth focused. It's about future growth, what we call unanticipated growth. Obviously, there are a lot of different teams and approaches within Schroders, but on, on, on this team, it's about future growth, unanticipated growth. Growth has not been recognized by the street, by the consensus. And what we find just time and time again is that there are certain areas of the market where the street consistently underestimates or underappreciates future growth. And technology is definitely one of those areas. 
we just find uh, huge opportunities in that sector on an ongoing basis. And we also happen to believe that we're at the cusp of quite significant delta in terms of innovation in the tech sector, which is something I'm happy to talk about if we have time. But the point here is technology innovation is not going away. There's a lot of change in the tech sector that to our mind is incredibly positive. And a lot of that even now is not being reflected uh, by the street. And in addition to that, you have whole parts of the tech sector where the market's kind of fallen out of love uh, with, with, with these companies. Um, partly because they've had a few issues and partly also because they've used legacy companies. So if you take the IBMs of this world, the Oracles of this world, the Broadcoms of this world, there's a whole raft of U.S. companies in particular in the technology space where investors actually have sort of given up. Mm. And that to us looks wrong. Some of these companies mm. will actually accelerate going forward and could be very interesting. So you put all that together and we're overweight tech, Keith, and we're quite positive. Right. And I, and I guess in, in terms of that ties in a bit with your overall view of uh, a market where earnings growth is becoming becoming a bit more scarce. Mm. And this is a sector that can continue to deliver through mm. quite difficult macroeconomic environments. Definitely, Keith. And, uh, and, and this is the interesting thing is that even for the big high growth tech names, the fangs that we're all familiar with, mm. we're not negative on the business. We're positive on, on each, pretty much all of those business models for different reasons. Uh, you know, we can argue about uh, issues that you know, Facebook still has to deal with or uh, headwinds that uh, Google has to deal with or indeed Apple has to deal with. But fundamentally, we're still actually pretty positive on all of those business models. The number one concern in that space right now is regulation. Yeah. And I think that's that's an issue I wanted to to come on to this idea of political risk. Mm. And uh, I was at a, a dinner last night where the speaker was arguing very strongly for much more regulation of, in in the UK and in Europe yeah. of the tech sector, mm. uh, and saying that you know it hasn't been treated like the rest of media. Admittedly, uh, this guy was a newspaper editor, right. but uh, <laughs> you know, but he did yeah. have a point. Yeah, sure. Uh, Sure. And we know that with the presidential election campaign coming, there's a lot of talk. I think Elizabeth Warren has already said that she wants mm. to increase regulation on tech and so on. So I just wondered how you kind of factor in that political risk. Into yeah, it's a huge situation. deal, actually, Keith, and very, very relevant at this mm. point, particularly because, you know, the elections, we're getting quite a lot closer to the elections. You know, 2020 is not that far away. Mm. Mm. The rhetoric is starting to uh, heat up. And as you point out, there have been some prominent um, politicians, particularly on the Democratic side, uh, talking quite openly about breaking up the tech giants. Mm. Um, and, and that is gaining momentum, and so certainly on the left side of the U.S. political spectrum. I think it's a real risk. Um, and, you know, bull markets generally don't die of old age. They need some kind of catalyst. Mm. Uh, if it's not interest rates, perhaps it's regulation that does the damage to the market. That's some way off, though. Right, right. Because I guess the other area that's vulnerable in that respect is healthcare. It is. And we chatted about that before, Keith. I feel very strongly that healthcare is an area where fundamentally the businesses are very sound across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. The problem is that certainly when it comes to large cap pharma and drug pricing in particular, actually the <clears throat> political headwinds are on both sides of the house whether it's Republican or Democratic, mm -hmm. both sides of the House are opposed to or pushing back against 
price hikes and price gouging in the pharmaceutical industry. Even, you know, more uh, uh, aggressive Republicans are actually quite cautious on, you know, drug pricing. Yeah. Trump yeah. himself, for example. Yeah. So we could well see uh, an environment that has been somewhat tougher for the big pharma companies, becoming even tougher mm. as consumer awareness grows and as the political heat, uh, you know, rises around that space. Okay, thank you. Um, now, one area I just wanted to, to switch the focus on mm. to, and uh, I mean, again, I know you do approach uh, the universe from a bottom-up perspective, but mm. there's been, you know, quite a lot of interest in emerging markets yeah. this year. Yeah. And I just wondered where you were coming out on that from your own perspective. Yeah. So it's a really interesting question. And um, it, if you've heard me speak before, you'll know that I I don't really view emerging markets as an asset class anymore. I just view it as an opportunity set. Mm -hmm. That's the way we think about it is there are great companies in emerging markets just as there are in developed markets. And what we need to do as global investors is uh, put those two alongside each other and draw comparisons based on fundamentals, based on the growth outlook, based on what is priced in and what isn't. So it's much less about the individual countries. And because you think about the dynamic across emerging markets, the dynamic at the individual country level is so different between China and India and Latin America and other countries. So what we're looking for are the companies that stack up globally within those markets. And what I will say is that whereas 12, 18 months ago, we had almost no pipeline in emerging markets in terms of new ideas. Today, we have a significant number of new ideas in those markets, in China, mm. most certainly, in Indonesia, in India, in Brazil, which we didn't have a while ago and haven't looked at for some time. And that says to me that the opportunities in emerging markets are growing. Expectations for us look to be quite low, certainly at the corporate level. The expectations don't look aggressive earnings ex estimates for emerging as an asset class have come down a lot this year as they have for other markets. Mm -hmm. And in the case of growth companies in emerging markets, really expectations look quite modest mm -hmm. relative to US mm -hmm. peers. Now, that gives scope for positive surprise, and that's what we're interested in. So I wouldn't say I'm bullish on emerging per se, but I can say that we've got a lot more ideas in emerging than, we had, than we've had for some time. Right. Uh, that's really interesting because, I mean, that ties in with some of the top-down analysis that people um, are putting forward. And certainly from the multi-asset perspective, yep. there's been you know, quite a positive view mm. on, on emerging markets. Right. Um, now, you mentioned new ideas there. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of the things I thought we, we should just touch on and one of the areas that you are active in, and it ties in very well with a piece that uh, Charles Prino and myself did on the inescapable truths and talking about different themes that are going to be driving markets over the medium term. Mm. And um, I know you have a number of funds that are trying to capture different themes. And I thought it'd be really interesting just to hear a little bit about those if, if you have to. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd love to, actually, because um, it's something that uh, many of our listeners will know as a firm we're sort of thinking much more about. Um, and it's something that logically I think we should be doing because it's synergistic with our existing capabilities. And also, if you take a step back from markets, uh, as an investor, what you really want to do is invest, you know, we want to be allocating a certain portion of your investments to things that you believe in 
that you have conviction in that you think will be powerful over the medium to long term. And some of the themes that are emerging really do fit that bill. They're, they're things that intuitively we know are uh, quite, uh, quite powerful, quite pronounced, and are going to be becoming more and more important as we go forward. So, for example, climate change is one where, mm -hmm. you know, clearly I think we can all identify with, uh, you know, with things uh, 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 changing quite rapidly on that front. Even Donald Trump has had to admit that maybe there is something to that. And um, we have been extending that by... Uh, launching new products, and we continue, we continue to, to continue to do that. We will be doing that going forward as, a, as an initiative on the equity floor. We have a global sustainability fund that's a tremendous um, a step forward in terms of uh, of creating a, a basket of stocks with certain characteristics that we think could be highly attractive to investors, retail or potentially institutional. We have a global healthcare fund that's focused much more on innovation than it ever has been, and uh, will be rebranded quite shortly. And uh, again, it's just uh, dovetails with the idea of strong innovation in that space that's likely to accelerate. We've launched a global disruption fund late last year. It was a really interesting fund. I would say that because I'm running it, but mm -hmm. it does have some really powerful sub-themes in it. I think we can all identify with as consumers and as investors. So the plan is to extend that footprint. And I think we're not going to try and replicate all the myriad ETFs that are out there focused on quite narrow parts of the market from a thematic standpoint. What we are going to do is have a suite of thematic products that fit our philosophy as a firm and fit our capability mm -hmm. as equity managers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And these sort of thematic ideas really tie in very well, I think, in a world where overall equity returns are not going to be that spectacular from mm -hmm. the index level. No. But these are trying to find the areas of growth that we can find. Yeah. I mean, yeah, going back to where we started, Keith, I mean, I think... It's probably reasonable to expect equity, to, equity returns, certainly in the U.S., to be somewhat lower than they have been in the last 10 years. Mm. Um, I mean, as you, you guys all know, the U.S. stock market has quadrupled since the financial crisis, in effect, mm. off the low. Don't think we can expect similar kind of returns over the next 10 years. But within markets, some of these themes could be very powerful and drive superior returns um, you know, for some time. Thank you. Um, and just before we wrap up, we have a very important vote here in the UK. And I don't think I could end uh, this call without just getting your view uh, on the UK market. I mean, okay. the yeah. impossible question. Right? <laughs> um, I was afraid I was afraid you're going to raise that, Keith. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, it's really interesting for us, again, as global investors with global clients. Because what we find fascinating right now is that a lot of our clients outside the UK uh, are really not thinking about the UK, or at least don't want to invest in the UK. I mean, they're thinking about Brexit, but they're not thinking about investing in the UK. Quite the opposite. They've pulled back mm. a lot, and that's ongoing. But to us, what that says is that actually the UK could be quite interesting going forward. Free cash flow yield of the UK market is the highest in the world, and probably rightly so, given the uncertainty around Brexit. But as soon as we get some kind of resolution, and we will get some kind of resolution one way or the other. I think investors are going to come back to fundamentals and realizing that maybe they shouldn't be so underweight in the UK, and maybe there are actually some individual situations in the UK that are very, very attractive. And we were debating that this morning in our team forum. We're thinking about some of these domestic UK stocks that are very cheap and where future growth is just not being recognized, in our view, even uh, in a more difficult uh, Brexit scenario. So. I think the UK could surprise on the outside, but please don't hold me to that if, you know, <laughs> if we crash out. 
Okay, well, look, thank you very much, Alex. Um, really interesting. So just to summarize, um, Alex says there is a possibility of a squeeze up in markets in the short term, although he, he's a little bit more cautious further out on some concerns about margins and pressure on, on profits and earnings. Still sees very attractive opportunities in the tech sector. Um, still sees, well, beginning to see more attractive opportunities in emerging markets. But of course, you know, a lot of thematic stories actually that the team are following at the moment, play, playing some of the new technologies, climate change, the big themes uh, facing the world economy. And then, and then finally, uh, see some value in the UK. But I guess we're going to have to wait a little bit longer before we get clarity on that. Um, thank you very much for listening, and that completes the call. This now concludes our conference call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.